Yeah, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy. Um, we are starting, listen, this fall season, new season. Uh, seasons in churches usually go from September to June. That's why we call it a fall season, a new season, and a launch. Um, this year, back in April, May, I, uh, I said to the elders, I said, because I knew I was going to have some time off in the summer for vacation, but also a few Sundays from preaching so that you could get a break from me. Amen? And, don't, don't, and, and also we could hear some of our other elders and other preachers, which is awesome, and they did great. Uh, but also to prepare for this fall, and I proposed to them that what we would do in this season is we would go through the pastoral epistles. And so we are going to start that today, First Timothy. We'll take a break at Christmas for our annual Advent series, Christmas series. Then in January, Lord willing, we're going to go into Second Timothy, uh, another letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy needed a couple of updates. And uh, then we're going to take a break for three or four weeks for a passion series that I've always wanted to do, which will be two or three weeks, maybe four, leading into Easter Sunday, right? The last week of Jesus' earthly life. And then we'll conclude the year with good old Titus, the third of the pastoral. And so this, this is great. This is, um, as we're going to see, and I hope you will see in this, uh, this series, This is a letter, these are letters, and the reason why they're called um, pastoral epistles is because these are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to two young men, and I'm talking young here, uh, who he discipled for many years, who he had planted, he planted churches, appointed elders, and then put them in and anointed them in the position of pastors in those churches. And oh man, a little over their heads at times, and, and you're going to see that in the text that we're going to read even today, but also throughout the whole series. Um, but this is uh, why we want to look at it is because, well, he was writing to them to encourage them because he'd been discipling them uh, on how to lead in the church, how to, how to lead older men and older women and younger as well, but how to lead and, and what the church looked like. You can see from our screen that we're titling not only this series, but really the whole series, uh, living in our Father's house. And so we, we don't actually have to look far. If you go ahead to chapter 3, Paul actually tells us why he wrote this letter to Timothy. He takes until chapter 3 after some of the things we're going to read in the next few weeks. But he says in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, this. Oh, by the way, I hope to come to you soon. I think it should be on screen. Right, there it is. I hope to come to you soon. Paul's always saying that to many of them, especially the church in Rome. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay or if I cannot get there, you may know how one, listen, look, ought to behave, ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. A pillar. That's a very tall structure that you will see in the ruins even today of the city of Ephesus, of which Janice and I, and I'll show you some pictures next week, were there to visit seven or eight years ago. Tall pillars, buttresses of what? The truth, which is the church. Huge responsibility, but that's how Jesus sees his church. And so one of the reasons, key reasons why, again, (laughs) I suggested to the elders we should do this is, well, we should learn these things as a church. But secondly, like when we went through 1 Peter, which was fun, right? Amen? Uh, We are going to see how practical this is to this day. 2,000-year-old letter, 2,000-year-old teachings to a church in a culture at that time not dissimilar to ours today at all. At all. So let me read our text for today. 
verses 1 to 11, and then I'm going to pray one more time for you and for me. Read with me, would you? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. This will not be on screen. By command of our God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge or our commission is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners and for the holy and profane. For those who strike their mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice, practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, per, perjurers pardon me, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, well, just as we've been singing today and praying earlier upstairs today as a, as a team of uh, worshiping and uh, teaching uh, members and servants in our church, we are so gracious and uh, grateful, pardon me, for your gracious love and mercy toward us. We thank you for beautiful sunny days like this as our fall season does begin. Um, we're thankful that we can be here just for a few hours to worship you, to have fellowship together, uh, to hear your word, to be, to be taught by you, Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray today, I pray that you would take this text, the words that you've given to me about it, um, and, and I pray more than anything that they will be true to your word and that they will be helpful they will be helpful to all of us. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So as I've been saying to many of you throughout the whole summer, as I've been looking forward to this Sunday, I really have, is, is this. Look, we, we are going to hit some of the most significant hot-button issues in the church today in this series. We start today, as you probably heard. And one of the things I want to say up front is this. It's, uh, the question that I have for the Apostle Paul, as maybe some of you have, is because, and we're going to see in another text, he, he brings these things up all the time. And so one of the questions I think we need to answer today is, Paul, why are you doing this? Why, pastor, are you bringing this up? Well, because it's in the text, and we need to go through it. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote it because it was something that Timothy needed to know about and hear about, as did the people in the church, because maybe there were some misunderstandings. 
There were in that day, and there are potentially as well today. Paul, for the 20 years up until this time, has preached basically two things consistently for these 20 years. Consistently for 20 years. He has preached, number one, of course, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What it means to be saved. What Jesus did on the cross, in your place, in my place, so that we could all be forgiven of all the sins that we've all committed. Amen? And he also preached consistently about false teaching and false teachers that, listen, would, did, and will show up in the church. So let me encourage you with this. My hope, our hope in this series from September to June is that these things will help us understand who we are as a result of everything that God has done and then how then we should behave as Christians, what, so that we can have a good life? Sure, but no, more importantly, so that our witness will be the gospel to this lost and dying world. And so that's what it's all about. You know, one of the things I like about Paul is he's, he gives an introduction, which we're going to see here today, and then he's really quick to get into the sermon. So let's do that. Let's look at the opening words, Paul, in verses 1 to 2, as Paul introduces himself in the letter. He writes, and this will be on screen, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Two, Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this is his introduction. And, you know, it's one thing when you study the Scripture and you study some of the historical context, etc., we can know pretty accurately when these things happened. We actually really can we can know that it was between somewhere between 52 and 54 AD that Paul arrived in Ephesus, that he first arrived in Ephesus. He stayed two and a half, well, two years, three months, experts, uh, more than myself, would tell us. And what he did every day, and, and I've been there, I've been to the place where he did this, in the ruins, I should say. He preached in the marketplace for two years and three months, approximately, the gospel. He, he took on philosophers and the people of that day. Ephesus was a hub. It was a port city. It was a hub of philosophy, of religion, pantheism, multiple religions. Every sexual lifestyle under the planet, including Diana and her temple, which, do you know what happened there? It was a really secular, very liberal, very intelligent. The library there was the largest in Europe in that area at the time. So this was a significant, significant city, and it was a significant church. But guess what? It's gone. It's completely gone. It's ruined, including the church in that area. This church is a church that Paul planted. It's one of his babies. (laughs) He loves this church so much. Yes, he loves Timothy and Titus, but man, did he love this church. That's why he keeps writing to them because he's encouraged. He wants to help them. And so what we read right away is what are we reading in the first verse? We're reading his signature. You know, many of you already know this, but I'm going to repeat it maybe for some that don't. But that's how letters were written on that day. You sign the letter up front, not at the end. All the best, Glenn, right? No, that's not the way you sign letters. You start it in the beginning and you tell people what your name is and so on and so forth. But the, the big question is, is, you know, people might ask is, why did Timothy need to know Paul's credentials that he puts in the letter? I mean, he knows Paul. 
he has spent 10 years with Paul so far. Well, the reasons for that are, number one, uh, Paul is making it very clear to Timothy one more time that, okay, Timothy, I know you respect this and I know you believe this, but you, may, you could also be doubting a little bit under the pressure you've been under, but I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'm doing what I'm doing by his command. This is military terms. Uh, Paul uses them a lot. So I'm commanded to do this. And so uh, he's kind of trying to, do you think, pass that on to Timothy? You, you should also be bold and, and commanded to do and say what I'm telling you to do and to say, I think so. But also he's passing on this. He's passing on authority. He's passing on his authority. And Paul, of course, acknowledges immediately under whose authority he lives and breathes. One person, Jesus Christ. You too, Timothy. You too, myself included. All of us. He acknowledges that completely. Jesus is the one who arrested him on the road to Damascus while he, Paul, a murderer, was on his way to collect some more Christians, take them back to Jerusalem, and have them put to death because at that time he was under the authority of the religious leaders. Things have changed, thankfully. So he then is a soldier, of course, in a battle, in a war, and that we're going to see. But also I believe this. I believe this sincerely. He not only wrote this letter to Timothy so that Timothy could take it in his bedroom and read it and go, oh my goodness, tomorrow morning at the service, I've got to preach this. No, he wrote it to Timothy because it was going to be read live to the church. Again, you just imagine if you're one of the people that Paul is talking about here, and you're in the audience, in the congregation, while Timothy's going, these are not my words, I'm just the messenger. I've been saying that for 14 years, okay? But that's what would have happened, as we will see. Secondly, and I feel it's an incredible highlight, and it's important for us to see, is he, re- he, he addresses the recipient, recipient pardon me, of this letter as, look at this, my true son in the faith. We're going to learn a lot more about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he talks about his mother and his grandmother and all the things that he knew about, about Timothy. But basically, he met Timothy when Timothy was about 18 years old, maybe 19 years of, old, of age. And, and people at that time in, in the Jewish faith at that time and, and also the early church were like, you know, this young man, he knows his Bible. This young man is godly. He serves like crazy. And even his mother and, of course, his grandmother were like, yes, Paul, you should take him and disciple him, right? Take him into an MDiv study at a seminary because we think he's... And that's what Paul did. Paul said, Timothy, come with me. Did a couple other things, which I'm not going to mention this morning, but anyway, he took him with him. And I love this because it's a picture of this. He basically said to Timothy, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you with me for a number of years. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to mentor you. And how am I going to do it? By showing you what good ministry looks like. Hey, I'll tell you what. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because Paul wasn't loved everywhere he went. Why? Because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not loved everywhere it's preached. So he saw that as well. So it was a beautiful thing. And, and, and so, for, so for Paul, we also know, was, as far as we know, was a single man. He didn't have a family of his own. He didn't have any children. So, so for him, Timothy and Titus were like familial sons for sure. This is like a son to me. You're like a son to me. And you know what? Timothy's father being a Greek who did not raise him as a Christian that we know of, Paul played that role for Timothy as well. 
I've said this many times to you, men, young men, middle-aged men and older men, there are a lot of men who come to the Rock Church or in the Rock Church who need another man like that, need another man like that to disciple them and care for them in that way. So he concludes with the beautiful words, as Paul concludes almost all the time in his letters, grace, mercy, and peace be, be to you, my son. So now to the meat of the letter. And as I said already, Paul actually doesn't waste as much time as I just did, but we needed to get here. Look what he says next. He says in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul had left Uh, Ephesus on his ministry journeys, on his church planting journeys. And on one of the trips uh, on the way back, uh, he's he's, he's stopping in uh, and and just at the seashore, and he calls to the church in Ephesus, sends a message and says, tell the elders to come to the seashore and and I'm going to have a meeting with you. And that's where we're going to see in a second. But he, he calls them out and Timothy with them. And so again, this is part of the time frame. Timothy now at this stage is likely about 29 30 years of age. And again, I love that. I've been in churches in the past where all the elders were like really old men, <laughs> like me. No, no, really, I have, and maybe some of you have too. I'm so glad that today we have three uh, young men who are elders in the church, one of whom is about the age of Timothy at this time when he's leading the church, about 29, 30 years of age. And so it's incredibly important it really is, and I love it because it's clear evidence that young men and women, for that matter, can be mature enough if being, given, if being given adequate mentorship and discipleship to lead things out in the church, to lead a Sunday school class, to lead a Bible study, etc., etc. So Paul opens with a reminder. This is interesting. As I urged you, he's calling Timothy to remember this meeting on the seashore from four years ago. And it's important that we see these words as well. Remain in Ephesus. Like, honestly, for years I've read that and I'm like, okay, sure. Remain in Ephesus. Why in the world would Paul ask Timothy, or not only ask, tell him, look, you stay there, buddy. Why? Why? Was it because Timothy had accepted or received maybe or was getting, you know, offers from like a megachurch in Corinth? Because it's possible, right? And they were saying, hey, Timothy, we know how tough it is in Ephesus. Those people are just, I'm, they're just stiff-necked people, as the Jewish people were sometimes called, right? And by the way, we're very charismatic. Things are happening here, and we'll pay you more money. What do you think? No. No. Why? Because he was experiencing exactly the things that Paul warned them about, four years ago, five years ago, and he's writing to him about now. He says, remain in Ephesus, look at these words, so that you may charge. That's, again, a military term. You'll give them their charges, right? And he's actually saying to Paul, uh, to Timothy, and and yes, I want you to give these charges to persons uh, not to teach a different doctrine. And so this tells us one thing, first of all, that this is an internal situation. This is an inside job that's happening in the church, right? And he's telling Timothy at 2930, you speak directly face to faith. Get in the grill of these older men. (laughs) It's like, okay. 
Thanks, Paul. I think that's why he probably said, can I have one of the elders read this letter on Sunday morning, right, to the church? No, I think Timothy, from all accounts, did well. So there's a constant refrain from Paul, and we see it as the last word in our text here in verse 3. The word doctrine, we're going to see it again in our text this morning. Paul is always talking about sound doctrine, right? It, it makes a lot of people in the church today, sometimes younger people in their faith, it's like, oh, man, that's really serious stuff. Uh-huh. It's called theology, right? It is. And uh, there's a website um, that I, I recommend to people a lot that I, I love, and, and uh, it's, it's actually uh, it's called Nine Marks, and you'll see the quote on screen in a second from them. But they have uh, nine marks of a healthy church on their website. And, and I'm going to put it up on our Facebook pages later today so that you can go check it out, because it's about how we live in our Father's house. These are the nine, nine marks of a healthy church. Their second mark is called biblical theology, which is sound doctrine. So let's have it on screen, and we'll she- see what their definition is, because I think it's really good. Sound doctrine is this. It is right thoughts about God. It's belief that accords with Scripture. Right thoughts about God, beliefs that accord in just the plain reading of the text with Scripture. So it's what we've learned several times now. It is, it's the imperatives that men and women know and, and, and how they know what and how to believe. It's those imperatives so that we, in turn, know how to behave. Remember chapter 3, verses 14 and 15? How we ought to behave in the church, which is the pillar, right? So it is about our behavior. So the bottom line here is on this point, is without a sufficient grasp of the truth, we might, well, might? No, we will be susceptible to error. We we just will be. I'm 40 years into this. I've believe things that weren't true, or I, I, I was like, oh, yeah, what's that? Oh, oh, really? And had doubts about God's word and so forth. And we'll see some of that today. So now back to this urging to see what Paul, what it is that Paul wants Timothy to remember. Well, again, he's reminding of the day that way back when he was on the road to Macedonia, and he calls them out, and I just want to repeat these words for you so you can see that Paul's prophecy from four to five years later is now completely coming true in the church. In Acts 20, 29 to 30, it says this. Paul starts this off. This is his instruction to the elders that have come out to see him. His first words are, pay careful attention to yourselves. So important. <laughs> As elders, leaders, pastors in the church, you know, sometimes it's going to be like, you know, yeah, we need to talk to so-and-so because, uh, mm-hmm. right? Hello, mirror. Pay careful attention to yourselves first of all beautiful instruction, and then to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, to care for the church of God, which he, Jesus Christ, has obtained with his own blood. This is his church. We're just stewards of it. It's a great responsibility that he's placed, not just on us as leaders, on all of you, on all of us. Let's not hear this today as this is, this is teaching for preachers and elders. This is so that you will also stand for what is true from God's word. And then he says this, I know. This is not, you know, I'm thinking this might happen. I know with great certainty that after my departure, fierce wolves will come upon you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, inside job, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after themselves. That's, that's what the purpose is. 
to get people to start listening to me and what I think about these things, not your pastor and your elders. So Paul's prophetic words four to five years earlier are now coming true in the church. And Timothy gets this letter and he's going, you told us, you told us. And he receives this letter and he begins by charging Timothy to speak directly, as I've said, to these characters. I want to highlight the word. We'll get to it again in a second. Certain persons. It's not the whole church. (laughs) It's certain persons. And so let's be careful. But then he adds about what they're doing. It says, nor to devote themselves in verse 4 to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by by faith. So they're not only teaching a false gospel or misrepresenting it at least, They were carrying on meaningless discussions with people in the church about highly speculative and essentially, really essentially, they're talking about vain babble, about things that don't matter. They don't really matter. There's an age-old saying in the church today or for the last 300 years, it's like discussions people might have on the church. And believe me, I've heard actually people have these discussions. How many angels do you think can dance on the head of a pin? You think I'm kidding? People get off on all kinds of things. In the Jewish faith, and the Jewish religion, it was like, yeah, okay, so uh, the Sabbath, right? Do not do any work on the Sabbath. Okay, what, what does work mean? Like, what work, what, what does that actually mean? Is, is this work? Is that work? Let's all get around the water cooler and have a discussion, right? And you know what the amazing thing about this is? Is that it's, it's, it's interesting, but they don't have any problem finding an audience, Just saying. So that's what Timothy and the other elders were up against. But then he adds this really key and important verse, and verse 5 is this. Oh, by the way, this is, I know, this is really tough stuff. Timothy, church, please remember this, verse 5. The aim of our charge. The reason why I'm saying this, the reason why you're saying this is love. I love this church. Timothy, I want you to love these people. This is actually how we love each other sometimes. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I would say that issues from mature Christians. So I know that it's, it's hard sometimes. Trust me, I know. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to get all worked up and all stressed out about what's not so much maybe going on in our church, although that can be whatever, but just out there <laughs> in the church Universal in North America, south of the border. Okay, don't look. <laughs> don't, excuse me. Hi. Um, don't go there because it's, it's so challenging. So listen, we, we can know sound doctrine. I've been there. People who know sound doctrine sometimes can be a little hard. It's about speaking the truth. You all know this. In what? In love. That's the aim of our charge. Timothy, Titus, Glenn, you and me. Verses 6 and 7, he goes on. Certain persons, pardon me, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, babbling about meaningless things, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding, this is amazing, either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You're in the audience. 
on that morning when this is read, in, and, and you know in your heart of hearts, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit at all, that you're one of these certain persons. And you're looking straight ahead because you don't want to see if anyone's looking at you. That's called the Holy Spirit, by the way. That's how he helps us grow in our faith, is by convicting us. So Paul's narrowing the focus on one specific area, and that's so I believe he can make his key application to Timothy and to the whole church. And it's about the law. And here he goes in verses 8 to the beginning of 9. Now we know that the law is good. The law is good. We know that. If one uses it lawfully, that is that said. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. First note, that's the whole world. That's you and me before Christ. That is all of us. It's not just a select group of people whose sins are greater than yours or mine. Because in this list, and we're going to see another one today, there's all kinds of other sins there that we kind of look past, you know. Liars, revilers, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians, thieves. Right. There's more than that. And so here's part of his key application. The law, of course, is the teaching of the Old Testament law and the prophets that was given to the people of Israel. We know it primarily as what? The Ten Commandments. It's the thou shalt do's and the thou shalt not do's. Given to us for what? For our good. But they're also given to us because they point out to us in God's mind and in God's economy what he considers sin. And so without the law, you and I, we wouldn't know what sin is. The scripture teaches us. We wouldn't have a clue. We, we would probably sense if something's wrong, right? But the law makes it clear. It names it, right? It names it. And so that's the, one of the reasons why it's given to us. But also there's an important word here that I really want some of us in the church to hear this today. It's the word the law is given. Do you see that? Paul's not saying the law was given. I think there are sometimes in the church today, some of us have, I may have thought of this in the past, hey, we're under grace, pastor. We're not under the law. Okay, if you're in Jesus Christ here today and you've been saved and born again, you're right. But if not, the law is given to you. Why? To point you to the fact that what's wrong with you, what's, why you're broken, why you're struggling is because of sin. That Jesus died for, by the way. And we'll get there. And so it's beautiful. The law is not for those who've been justified by faith, by the grace of God, but for those who either think they still are or are because of all the good things they're doing and everyone else. So the law was and is given by God so that we can actually know what sin is in his eyes. So let's look at that. We have to look at that. Who the law is laid down for. And Paul says that in the second half of verse 9 and verse 10. For those who strike their mothers and fathers. I'll pause for a second. Some of us here today, hopefully, will go, what? When was that a thing? Well, actually, it does happen in our world today. But boy, back in that day, back in that day, parents were not respected the way they should be. In the church and outside the church, but particularly outside the church. It was terrible the way parents were treated. 
And that's why Paul also teaches elsewhere in the scripture. I'm going to pick that up because it's the Bible, okay? And I'm going to need it in a second. But elsewhere in the scripture, Paul um, refers to the idea that we're to honor our mother and father. Why does he teach us that? Well, because they weren't really doing that very well, right? So that's an important one right there. Strike for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, love, love this. Whatever else is contrary to, here it is, sound doctrine. So first, let's be sure that we see that, I, I know I have to repeat this, there are many sins mentioned here. Every one of them, if not repented of and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and washed, are enough. Every single one of them are enough to separate you from God for eternity. Okay? Every one of them, not just a few. So that's really important for us to understand today. So I don't think I need to tell you uh, which one of these or which couple of these stand out today, right? Do I? I don't think I have to do that. And so, listen, first well, first and foremost, let's not skirt around it. Let's have a look at it. We must. So first, and we've been over this many times in the past, one of them is that's listed here is sexual immorality. This comes up repeatedly. Jesus mentioned this. Paul repeats it constantly. Simply, let's put it this way. We went through it a little while ago. It's simply this, and it's hard. In our day and age, people are like, what? Are you serious? It simply means this. In God's mind... Sex outside of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, anything other than that is sin. It's not God's best for us. Now, I, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular here, but I'll put my hand up. I think some of us know what that looked like in our past, what that sin looked like in our past, but that's that. So this is one, and it's simple and clear, but the fact is sometimes it's not that easy for us to accept, is it? even inside the church, even inside the church. And so, that's what it looks like in God's eyes. Likely, as I said, many of us have committed that sin. Two more, of course, stand out, right? You're thinking, no, actually just one. I'm going to say two, and I'm going to begin with one that you might not think is so important, but I'm going to begin with it because I find it incredibly ironic, ironic that it actually comes right after the one you think I'm going to talk about, and I am. It's the sin of being an enslaver. Is that in the text? You can see it up there, right? Yeah. Uh, no, you want to go back, please? Uh, not to this. We're not there yet. Back in, yeah, right there. Enslavers. You see that there? The reason why I highlight that first is because, again, I don't, maybe many of you don't read like I read. I read uh, books that I know are theologically good and wonderful, and then I read books that I don't really want to read, but people are reading them, and so I go and read them so that I can actually give an answer for them. But in the last 10 to 15 years, I've seen a lot of books written uh, by men and women uh, who are you know, uh, leaning towards what would be called liberal theology or progressive Christianity. And, and there's this refrain that you'll hear often. Because we have read the Bible wrong when it comes to slavery... Maybe we have read the Bible wrong when it comes to, here's a couple of, of, of lovely subjects, one of which will come up against in chapter 2 and chapter 3 in Timothy, women in ministry. Maybe we've read the Bible wrong that, about that too, and some would say maybe about this other subject, which we'll talk about in a second. Let me say this. No, we haven't. That's a false dichotomy. The, the church did not, as a whole, read the Bible wrong about slavery. 
what happened is sinful men read it for their own purposes and applied it wrongly. In the Old Testament, the slavery that exists in the Old Testament and even in the New, and Paul talks about that again in Ephesians 6, about how Christian masters who have servant slaves should treat them. Read it. It's pretty good stuff. Why? Because there were slaves in that day, servants in households, and it was, it was a servitude. It wasn't the African slave trade. But that's the comparison that's made. And so, again, I will suggest this to you. That's just not true. Beginning in the 17th century, Christian men and ministers, when the slave trade began, started preaching against it immediately. Christians for, by the way, 1,600 years had moved away from that completely. <laughs> Since 8300 in the church, most Christians realized, they're like, no. If, if I have a servant, then they're a servant, that's fine. But they're not a slave. Like, like others are slaving people in secular society. But men like William Wilberforce, if you read your history, John Wesley, Thomas Clarkson, devout Christians, ministers, spoke out against it repeatedly. And guess what? They pointed to the Bible to make their point. And guess what was the main passage that they pointed to to prove their point? Right here. And to that word, enslavers. Do you know what it means in the little Greek? It means in English too, but in the little Greek it means this. Anyone, any person who takes a person captive and sells them into slavery. So Paul's saying right here in 1 Timothy, that's wrong. That's a sin. Christians shouldn't be doing it. Boy, it's going to become more clear in just a few more minutes. So in other words, they are kidnappers and they are slave traders. Men who practice homosexuality. So listen, suffice to say then, from what I've just said, in my opinion, we have not read the Bible wrong. The church has not read the Bible wrong on this subject. Has the church applied a lot of things that they've heard in sermons wrongly towards people? Yes? Amen? We have. Look, there's a word that Paul uses here. We're going to see it again in 1 Corinthians in a second. It's an important word. It's the word practice. Practice. It's it's not the same thing as attraction. So, friends, I I know, look, I've seen this in my old hippie days back in Toronto when gay pride parades began and things like that. Like, my attitude back then was terrible. It was terrible. And then when I got into the church, did I hear things a certain way, which we'll get into in just a second as we come to our conclusion? Yeah, I did. But here's the bottom line, church. Today, I think what we need to understand is, I don't understand, I'll admit this, I'll confess to you, I don't understand same-sex attraction. I don't. But it's real. It's real for people especially who have practiced it or are practicing it. So I just want to say, and listen, I don't even know all of you. I actually know some people who've been at the Rock Church over the past 14 years who... Um, have had same-sex attraction, who, who have acted on it. So I don't know, okay? But if you're here today and you're watching online, this needs to be declared. We as a church welcome you. The sign outside said, says that, right? Everyone welcome. Is it true or not? Yeah, it's, well, it's true. <laughs> Everyone is welcome. And I want to encourage you that I hope you will never, ever feel judged or condemned at the Rock Church. 
And if you do, please tell me or one of the elders because that's not what we want to be about. We all have attractions that we're dealing with from our past lives. Amen? That's what Paul's getting at. Just to show you how consistent he is and then to get us to our conclusion point, which is really important. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, again, uh, this won't be on screen the first part, but the second part will. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not, maybe it is going to be on screen, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he says again, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, look, nor thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, the list could go on, will inherit the kingdom of God. So many, many, many more sins are listed, all of which, again, if not repeated and repented of and covered by Christ's sacrifice, washed by his blood, are enough to keep us from eternity with him. Falling back into them after being saved is a different scenario, as we'll see. So that's important. So I want to I pause. I'll put a pause button on things right now. We are going to conclude with this, but I'm pausing for this reason. I, I think sometimes we hear this as a church, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I think I have heard sermons in the past. I hope I've not preached them. Some may think I have, but I, I hope I've not preached them, where I kind of got the impression when this text was being read or the one in Corinthians is being read that it was a little bit like us versus them. You know, we're, we're the clean ones, the Christians, the goody two-shoes. We're these people. But all those people out there, I, I don't know if you've felt that, but I think sometimes I have. I think we can get the idea if we're not careful. We might get the idea uh, uh, um, that we find in the parable. That's why I wanted to have my Bible open here for this because I didn't put it in my notes until the Lord said to me this morning, read this. Uh, we might have the idea of the parable where, the, you remember the Pharisee who comes to the temple? And Jesus actually tells, it's a story, it's a parable. It, did it happen really? But Jesus starts off with this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Pardon me, it's also this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Well, then he tells the parable of the religious guy, the Pharisee who's there. He's looking over at the tax collector who's like literally beating his chest three times and saying, Lord, please forgive me for I am a sinner. What does the Pharisee say according to Jesus in the parable? Oh, dear Lord, dear God, I thank you that I am not a sinner like that man. Have you ever thought that yourself? Have I ever thought that? that? That's something we need to dig into this week. And so here's my question for you that was a question that should be asked at the beginning. Paul, why in the world are you going there? Again. Pastor Glenn, why are we going there? Again. Well, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6.11 when he says this. And such, look at these words, were some of you. 1 Corinthians was written many years before the church in Ephesus was planted. So I guarantee you that before 1 Timothy is written and Timothy recites these words, the people in Ephesus had already heard about the letter to the Corinthians. And so they knew, he says, and such were some of you. Friends, Paul is writing to Timothy, a pastor of a church full of men and women who were sinners such as this. 
He's preaching to men and women in the church as I could be today or tomorrow or every other preacher in North America is today where there are people who were such as these. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's trying to encourage them. They've been washed and they've been cleaned. Look what the scripture says. They've been washed, they've been cleaned. They've been sanctified. They were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the gospel? I understand the world's out there. I understand some of these teachers are sort of saying to you, go, hey, it's, it's not really a sin. It's really not that bad. We, we may have read the Bible wrong. Don't go back to that. This is a message of sanctification, Right? So this is not us versus them. (laughs) This is about us. It's about the church. It's about all of us that we remember that we were sinners such as these. But the important word there is were. That's an important word. It's, It's the scripture. We need to believe it. We are no longer this. And so this is the true gospel. It's the sound doctrine. And this is what Paul wants them to listen to and live their lives by and not by the false teachings that of the men and women are there. And everything instead that is, look at our last verse today, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. <laughs> Somebody just turned our thing. There it is, back on. It's okay. So I'm going to conclude with this because uh, that was a signal. Um, This is a message of sanctification, church. It's not a message of condemnation for anyone. It's to help you and I grow in our faith and walk with Jesus Christ and to be that kind of church. Amen? Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you that You so loved the world, this whole world, that you sent your only begotten son into this world so that if we would just believe, trust in his finished work on the cross in our place and for our sins, that we would be forgiven. That is your love. That is your love. It's also full of great, great compassion because we did not deserve that. It's full of grace and compassion. So, gracious Heavenly Father, I pray today for all of us here at the Rock Church, all of those who would hear this message, but also the message from Paul and uh, the ones that will go on from here, I just, I just pray, Lord, that we would, we would not only hear this message of grace and mercy and peace and compassion that you have for all of us, but also, Lord, that we would live that out. We would be compassionate towards one another, but also to those who are struggling in their sins, that we would love them appropriately. We would show them that, yeah, you love them and that you want them to be your children today and for eternity. And so, Lord, we pray these things in your worthy name. Amen.